I encourage you, I was, I was kind of joking around with some kids, but I said, what are you going to do tomorrow for Veterans Day? And the, the kid was like, I'm going to sleep in, and I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like, they had no clue. I, I, I encourage you to just think of something. Um, I would hate to kind of waste an opportunity. The reason why we take the day off is to remember. So think of something that you can do. Maybe think of a veteran. If you guys are, are wondering what's the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day, uh, Veterans Day is to honor those uh, who have served and are still here with us and to let them know how grateful we are. So if you know somebody, it'd be a great day to call them up, uh, thank them. Uh, I would imagine that most of you have family members uh, that have served. So just a simple phone call uh, and thank them. I mean, that could be it. Uh, praying over them, praying over their families. Um, what we don't understand and don't realize is there's still repercussions of, of what many of them uh, gave up uh, physically, emotionally, uh, mentally, uh, the toll. Uh, they paid a price for us. So please let a veteran know how much you appreciate them. Will you do that for, for me tomorrow? Will you do that for them tomorrow? Amen, amen. Uh, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time together, Lord. Um, Lord, we are going to fight. Lord, there is definitely an attack. Um, but Father, we are going to stand firm because we know greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So Lord, speak to us tonight. Encourage us tonight. Uh, lift our spirits tonight, Lord God, so that we may walk out of here, um, Lord, full of your spirit full of courage, and full of your love. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, it is November, uh, and by the way, I can't believe it uh, that it's November. Um, I, I, I almost can't believe that we're already looking at the year 2020. Um, I remember, how many of you uh, remember uh, when we clicked over to the year 2000, uh, how many of you uh, hunkered down because you were ready for Y2K? Any Y2K uh, hunger? Okay, so we did it. Uh, we, my my uh, wife and I actually drove up to uh, Modesto, which is where my mom lived, and we filled up the tub with water, and we were like ready, and then midnight struck and nothing happened. And it was kind of like this, oh, that was kind of a little bit of a letdown. We were waiting for something catastrophic to happen, but it, it, I cannot believe that that was 20 years ago. It was 20 years ago, uh, and, and here we are already looking into 2020. Uh, but November, it's a time to be thankful. Uh, and as I mentioned, there's a reason. There is a reason why we made it a holiday, okay? It, it, it's, you know, why is it up there? Why do we celebrate Thanksgiving? Why is it up there with Christmas and Easter? And you know what I mean? Why is it one of these big holidays that we celebrate? Uh, and I truly believe it's that we shouldn't just throw it away and think like, oh, okay, it's just a reason to get together and eat, you know, a lot and watch football. And then, you know, as my wife does, immediately go shopping, you know what I mean? Black Friday, all that kind of stuff. I really feel like, you know what, let's, let's think about this for a second. Let's think, why is it that it's so important to be thankful? And I really came to the conclusion that thankfulness is a weapon against depression, Thankfulness is a weapon against the lies of the enemy. 
Thankfulness is a tool that God has given us when we are starting to, to doubt, when we are starting to fear, when we are starting to kind of lose hope, that there is a reason why that we come back to being thankful. And it's because it reminds us of, first of all, who God is. It reminds us of what he has done, and it reminds us of what we have. Instead of focusing on all the negative, what we do is we say, you know what, let's focus on the positive. And I don't know about you, but it is a constant battle of mine. I constantly have to remind myself to get my, my focus off the negative stuff and put it back onto the positive because there is so much negative in the world. Do you, would you agree with me? Would you agree that all you have to do is wake up in the morning and there's just so much to be depressed about? But we don't have to stay there. We can remind ourselves who God is. We can remind ourselves what he's done in the past, right? What he's done in the past, and then we can remind ourselves about what he's going to do, and, and of course, you know, what he's doing in our lives. Last week, we talked about God's grace. We, we, we looked at the story of the, of the 10 lepers, and only one leper who's healed by Jesus comes back. Now, I thought it was interesting, God still healed all 10 lepers, okay? So it immediately it dispels this idea that God only heals people who are, you know, really good Christians. God only heals people who are really holy, right? No, God healed all 10 lepers. It was only one that came back, and it was only one that bowed down and thanked him but it was that one, though, that got a deeper understanding of who God is and his love. They all experienced grace, but one of them learned that it was his faith that had healed him. And I believe was able to walk away from that experience, you know, never, ever forgetting it. I, I wonder about the other nine. I wonder if they just kind of went off and maybe years later was like, Oh, yeah, I, I was sick at one point. I was really sick. You know, you know, maybe, you know, whatever. But the one would never, ever forget his encounter with the Lord Jesus. We're going to look at a story today in Luke chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, uh, Luke chapter 7. Uh, we're going to start in verse 36. And, um, and the New Living uh, Translation. And there's some really, really cool kind of nuggets, golden nuggets uh, of this story that I, I want to pull out, and, and, and even some things that I personally have never, ever seen before, uh, but when I was studying this, they just kind of popped out at me. So let's look at this story together. Luke chapter 7. So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now, when a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. So let me just stop there for a second and let me give you an idea of what is happening. Jesus did not get along with the Pharisees, okay? So already there's, there's this tension, okay, that you have to understand. Jesus is having dinner with a Pharisee. Which means, you know, why did this Pharisee have him over for dinner? You know, was it kind of like to check who this Jesus guy was out? You know, what, what was the whole point of even having him over? Uh, and we're going to learn more about even how this Pharisee even treats Jesus. 
But then enters the immoral woman, right? Here comes this woman. All we know is that she's immoral. We could probably piece together. It really doesn't matter. Um, but here she comes in. She comes barging in and, and completely sets the stage for our story. It says in verse 38, Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Let me, let me uh, explain probably what this looks like. Um, back in these days, they, when they ate, they would have reclined. They wouldn't have been sitting at a, a chair. They literally would have been reclining, and they probably would have had some cushions, you know, kind of under, and their heads would have been facing the table, and their feet, because normally they were dirty and stinky and things like that, would have been facing away from the table, so they all would have been kind of reclined around this table. So you get the picture that this, this woman comes flying in, she finds Jesus, and of course, the easiest thing to access is his feet, right? Right? And she immediately gets down, she, she has this beautiful alabaster jar of perfume, and she just pours it on him, and she's, she's weeping, and, and her hair, you know, she takes her hair to kind of clean his feet uh, uh, off. Uh, verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. I, I love, by the way, I just want to pause at that for a moment. Jesus does this all the time, and I wish, I wish I had this, this kind of, like, power to do that. Because there's, he doesn't even say it out loud. He's just thinking these really, you know, dark thoughts. And Jesus goes ahead and answers him. I mean, I have to imagine the guy's jaw dropped. Like, how did he hear my thoughts, Right? And Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, so we've just learned his name. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. He says, go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both Canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Right? It's a pretty uh, simple, easy to understand story, right? Well, Simon answered, well, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, again, you have to picture this. You have to see what Jesus is doing, Right? He turns to the woman, right? So, so remember, he, he's reclining and she's at his feet. She's, you know, laying on, you know, probably on the floor. He turns to the woman, but he's still speaking to Simon. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, and by the way, this is where, whew, this is where the chastisement comes in uh, and it, it's got to hurt. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. It's interesting, the, the similarities in last week's story of the lepers and this week's story. Jesus says something similar and almost identical. He says to the leper, your faith is what healed you. And he says to the woman, your faith, your faith is what has saved you. It's interesting, faith, faith heals and faith saves. I want to talk about uh, shame. What was interesting uh, to me was the depiction of, of the, I, I, this woman's shameless act is really what it is. And I'm going to explain it so that you, you understand what I mean. This woman who should have had all of this shame for the kind of lifestyle comes in and completely interrupts this meal. And by the way, a Pharisee's house, she had to have known whose house she has entered. But something had happened to this woman. We're not specifically sure. Some people think she may have been uh, Mary Magdalene, that, 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 you know, that, the one that you know, Jesus you know, had forgiven. There's something, though, that happened in this woman. She knew who Jesus was. She knew that you know, he could change her life. And she did not care what people thought about her because she knew exactly who God was and she knew exactly where she wanted to be. She was shameless. But I want to talk about shame. Shame is what we feel when, when we sin, right? It, when we sin, instantly we feel shame. And shame separates us from God. We see this from the very beginning. Shame separates us from God. Genesis 3.10 says this. He replied, God says this to Adam and Eve, I heard, I heard you walking in the, oh, I'm sorry. God is asking Adam and Eve where they are, and this is Adam's response. He says, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. This is exactly what shame does. When we disobey God, we instantly want to hide from him. We instantly, we are the ones. It's interesting because we, we sometimes think of, of sin as, you know, God having to separate himself from us. And I really would say, look at it from this standpoint. Sin is when we turn our backs against God. Sin is when we go and we hide from God. Because God was still looking for Adam and Eve. God has always, from day one, when sin entered the world, from day one, God has been searching for you. He's been pursuing you, even despite sin. It is us who hide, who go and hide from God. Shame keeps us separated from the people we love. So not only does shame separate us from God, but then the people who truly love us, it also, we also want to separate from them as well. Shame keeps us trapped in our sin. There's this kind of vicious cycle that begins, you know, with shame. 
you know, we, we, we tend to stay stuck in these situations when we, when we can't ask for help, right? Because shame, we're so ashamed. I, I, I love it. And by the way, Rod and I did not talk at the beginning of, of this, you know, service. But Rod was saying he, was, he felt so ashamed of what was going on in his life and the, the, the burden that he was feeling and the oppression that he was under that he, he didn't even want to tell Chuck, you know, that he didn't feel up to lead in prayer and he, and he didn't want to speak in front of his own men's group. That's what shame does. That's what shame does. Sin brings on shame and shame makes us want to hide from God. I, uh, we have a dog. We have a multi-poo. Uh, if you've ever been over to her house, you've met Chasey, right? And she's a very loving, uh, uh, a very um, friendly dog. Ask Becca. She always kiss, comes and runs up and kisses Becca right on the mouth. So we have this dog, Chasey. She's this little multi-poo. She is uh, the best dog. We love her. Uh, she's super friendly. Um, you know, she's a dog you can play with. She's a dog that'll, you know, while we're watching TV, she'll, she'll be sitting in our laps. But I always know when Chasey has done something wrong because we will come in the house and Chasey will not come to me. And I'll tell you, she did something. I know it. She did something. She got, either got into something or she did something that she knew that she was not supposed to do. And, you know, my wife's like, I don't know. Maybe she's just, I go, no, watch. And I'll even call her. This is the best part. I'll call her, I'll go, Chasey, Chasey. And what she'll do is she does that creep on the floor thing and her tail is just wagging, is wagging. But, but her ears are down. It's not the happy wagging. It's the, I am nervous. You are going to beat me if you find out what I've done. That is exactly the look. And I got to admit, I, I always feel really bad. And then, of course, she does. She'll, I'll, I will call her until she comes all the way up to my feet. And, and eventually, she does the whole roll over on her. And I, I know. I go, she did something. She did something. And, I'll, and usually, it takes, you know, few minutes to walk around the house and figure out that she got in, she got into something but it's interesting here's a dog right a dog and yet a dog even can experience shame and you can read it all over i mean if you've ever seen a dog that knew they did something and by the way you could probably go on youtube and find those videos of dogs that they've caught you know what i mean and it's just to see the shame written all over uh, their faces but in this story, in this story, and this is what I really want to get at. In this story, the woman was shameless. The woman, the woman in this story was shameless. Hebrews 4.16 says this. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I want to read it one more time because this is a powerful, powerful promise. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. When you are in sin, when you have stumbled, when you have fallen, or when you feel like you've done something wrong, you can still come boldly to the throne room of God. Gracious God, I love it. He even describes him as a gracious God. There you will receive mercy. You will receive mercy. And you will find grace to help you when you need it most. Let's look at how 
shameful Simon was, okay? Let's just look at this. There's, there's three things that, I, that, that did not happen that Simon was supposed to do, and by the way, were very, very much a slap in the face of Jesus. There was three things that he, he didn't do. So first, he did not wash Jesus' feet. This was something that every host did for the people that came over to the home was they would offer, you know, to have their feet washed. Back then, everyone wore sandals, and back then, most of the roads were made of dirt, and you can imagine all the animals and all the mud and all the, I mean, your, your feet would be very, very dirty. And a gracious host would offer, whether he did it himself or whether he had one of his servants, he would offer uh, a water and he would offer a basin, and you, they would clean your feet. It was just common courtesy. Right? We have common courtesies today. Back then, this was common courtesy. Simon did not do that. Why? Well, I believe he did not want to serve Jesus. He was still skeptical of who Jesus was, and in no way did he want to show himself serving him. Right? He did not want to serve Jesus. And number two, he didn't greet him with a kiss. Back then, it was very, very common to, uh, uh, when you greeted someone, you would greet them with a kiss, you know, the whole kind of French or Italian. By the way, if you go to, you know, Italy, they still kind of greet each other that way. Um, but they would greet each other with a kiss. It was very common uh, that when, you know, you saw someone that, yay, you know, and, and, and by the way, it was to show love and affection, right, in a very pure way. It was to show, hey, you know, like, we kind of do today, we kind of do the bear hug, right? You know, we kind of, come here. It's to show affection. He did not greet Jesus with a kiss. Shameless act number two, he was basically showing, I have no affection for you. I have zero affection for you. It was common. Both of these things were very common. People did them. It was, again, common courtesy, and yet Simon is almost projecting something, and he is saying, I am not at all going to even touch you. The third thing that he did not do was he did not anoint him. Anointing someone was symbolic. It was symbolic of joy. It was, it was symbolic of the time that they were going to have together um, we also know, uh, uh, you know, anointing is also the symbolic of God's presence. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, there's just this attitude of when, when someone comes over that, hey, this is going to be a great time, and God's going to be here, and this is, you know, us coming together. It's good. And so they would show that by this act of uh, anointing, you know, the people's heads that had come over. Simon did not do that. And again, I believe he was withholding this symbol of joy or, or even the simple act of, of, you know, what he had to offer, his gift to him, right? My gift to you. And Simon withheld these three things. These were shameful acts. And if, if anything, even not just to a, a regular person, this is Jesus, the son of God in his home, You see, not only does sin separate us from God, but sin also keeps us from God and unrepented sin can turn into pride. Pride then puts us above God himself. Pride is the most shameful act and Simon was full of it. 
Simon is revealing his cards. Because of his arrogance and his pride, he was literally saying, I am better than you. I want to just look at pride just for a quick moment. Three things. Pride is what led Lucifer to rebel and be cast out of heaven. Pride is what led Adam and Eve to sin. And pride is what kept Simon from seeing who Jesus really was. Pride kept Simon from seeing God right in front of him. Here was a man. He was a Pharisee, so he served God, right? He devoted his life to God. He was in the service of God, if you want to look at it that way. But he was so full of pride that he didn't even see when God was right in front of him. I pray, I pray that I never, ever become like that, that I can't even see when God is right in front of me. So humility is what combats pride. And that is what the woman had. The shame, her, her shameless act, her shameless act was complete humility. And what did she do? She washed Jesus' served him. She served him. She knew who he was, and she knew her place. And she, because of what she knew had happened in her life, the transformation, the, 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 the being forgiven, she wanted to serve him. The second thing she did was she kissed his feet. She showed affection to him. Now, by the way, because of who she was, she, she wasn't supposed to, if you were touched by her because she was an immoral woman, if you, if you had been touched by her, you were now unclean. But isn't it just the perfect story that even something so unclean can touch God? God still wants to have that, that, that close relationship with you. He's closing the gap. She kissed him. She, she, she showed her affection. And then she anointed him with oil or, or this sweet perfume, the, the symbol of her joy and her most expensive possession. She was shameless. She was shameless because she knew who was right in front of her and she acted accordingly. All God wants is a repentful heart. When we repent, it puts us in right relationship with God. When when we are in right relationship, all shame is taken away and we can approach God boldly and not have to hide from him any longer. If you ever feel that distance from God, I just want you to think about it. What is causing it? I, I guarantee that it's probably the shame you feel in your life that you are unworthy. But I want you to know that is absolutely not true. You are worthy not because of anything you've done, but because of, because of the power of Jesus Christ, because of the blood that was shed, because he has redeemed you, it is who you are now, that you can approach the throne room of God boldly, that you don't have to hide from God. He's not going to smite you. He's not going to destroy you. That is not his heart. His heart isn't to punish you. But let me tell you something. 
do not let pride well up to the point where you could say, no, I got this. I don't need you, God. I can do this on my own. That's where Simon was. Simon didn't even realize the God of the universe was sitting in his living room. But that woman did. Tonight, I want, I want to give you an opportunity because I feel that many of us, especially as Christians, we walk around and we struggle. That we feel like, here, you can come on back up, but that we, we somehow think God doesn't want us around. We somehow think that we are not worthy of his love, that we're not worthy of his forgiveness, we're not worthy of his affection. I want you to burn that image in your head of that woman and the interaction between her and Jesus. Because she was shameless. And Jesus said, yes, her sins are many. But he had forgiven them all. He knew it. And because of that, she loved God with a love that was greater than even Simon's love for God. I want you to be free from shame tonight. I want you to be free to approach God boldly. But it starts with humility. It starts with repentance. But God's waiting. God's heart towards you is nothing but love. Nothing but I want a relationship with you. It's nothing but I want to heal you. I want to help change your thinking. I want to provide for you. I want to take care of you. But you've got to let me in. We're going to go back into a worship song, and I kind of want to just, I just want this to be a time between you and the Lord. If you are wrestling with that, if if you just, man, I feel the weight of shame on me, and it keeps me, you know, separated from God, or, you know, I'm in that, I'm always hiding, and I don't want to hide anymore. I'm telling you, you don't have to. God doesn't even want you to. Just like in the garden, he calls to you and he says, where are you? And instead of staying hidden, say, here I am, Lord. Completely and utterly exposed to you. But trusting in him that he can take all of that sin away. He can remove all of that guilt that you're carrying And he can definitely, definitely take that shame away. I'd like to ask the the Charmans and the Jeffries if you guys wouldn't mind coming up on either side of the the room. And, And while we worship, if you just need prayer tonight for any reason, 
the Jeffreys and the Charmans would love to pray with you. But especially if you are one of those people who just, shame just seems to, almost like it's got a stranglehold on you. And you say, I, I want to break this. Let us pray with you. I believe the, the, the act of just standing up and, and, and coming forward is, is that act of just like that woman coming to Jesus' feet. Shameless. You have nothing to be shameful about any longer. And this is a church that does not judge. We do not judge. All we want to do is point you to Jesus and his love and his forgiveness.